Pick out any three people. Take three glasses. And you're just about ready for this one. Pepsi-Cola Half Quarts. A long, tall Pepsi value that pours three big servings for three big thirsts. You see where so-called king-size colas run dry, just about here. Pepsi Half Quarts keep right on pouring. Actually give you one-third more in every single bottle. One-third more of the taste that beats the others cold. Next time you have lots of people around, have lots of Pepsi Half Quarts around. The one that pours three big servings for three big thirsts. Taste that beats the others cold. Pepsi pours it on. Are you a road maker, a road follower, or a hitchhiker? So one of the more interesting trends of late is this notion that we're kind of out of big ideas. Now you wouldn't notice this if you've read the news or followed trends lately. All indications are that technology, medicine, robotics, well, we're just chock-a-block full of innovation. R&D budgets and corporations are at an all-time high. And yet, we're not really producing a ton of big ideas. Now, when economists look at innovation as a factor of our standard of living, well, they look at what they call the total factor productivity. It's this idea that when we combine capital and labor more creatively and we capture the innovation factor into that, we get an innovation score. Apparently, growth peaked right around the 1950s at 3.5%, right around the same time that electricity, aviation, and antibiotics were reaching their maximum impact. And it slowed over the decades to an average of 0.5% for the current decade. Outside of our iPhones and Google and drone service to packages to our house, everyday life improvements have been pretty incremental. Houses, appliances, cars, they're about what they were a generation ago. Airplanes are still what they were in the 1960s. And, and this is true, none of the 20 most prescribed drugs in the U.S. came to market in the last decade. But it's interesting. What we see in marketing is even more stark. Our willingness to take chances, bet on big ideas, is even more rare. We spend our days these days and weeks these weeks and months these months following incremental numbers that go up and down on social. We see email rates go up by 5%, 10%, content, advertising, visits to our website. We work diligently to do small incremental things to move the needle instead of bending the needle perpendicular, blowing up social content, advertising, or email and doing something truly new. Now, there are exceptions, of course. There are big ideas, yes. There are explosive new innovations, absolutely. But here's the thing I notice. In every case, the road makers, the ones at the source of all of those explosive new innovations, the big ideas, the exceptions, well, they're willing to make something wrong, to make a wrong road on the way to making something right. They say yes what we're doing might fail. It might fail spectacularly, but if it works, if it works. And to be clear, there's nothing wrong with being a road follower or hitchhiker. The road maker needs traffic or else the road goes nowhere. The hitchhiker is a key piece to keeping the road followers company and confident that they're on the right road. But it's worth asking, as we tackle that Monday morning or that Friday afternoon, as we who want to lead the creative life, 
Now, we kind of know and recognize that it's fraught with obstacles and frustrations. It's not easy to get a work published or perform or push a big idea through to our boss or a weird investment that on paper has no chance or to believe in the greater good of God when so much tragedy falls around us. We face scathing reviews, negativity from colleagues, skepticism from our family and friends. In so many ways, our willingness to make the wrong road is what defines us as a roadmaker. And yet some of us will continue to try. We'll continue to make the roads. It's quite an amazing thing when you think of it. Not everybody's up to it, and not everybody is up to it all the time. Roadmakers are often also sometimes road followers and sometimes hitchhikers. It just depends on where we're going. And that's the theme of our show today. Roadmaker, road follower, and hitchhiker. And knowing which one you need to be if you want to get somewhere. And if you want to go somewhere no one else has gone, you got to be willing to make mistakes on the map. So now it's time for me to take the exit ramp for a one-hour rest stop. Grab a blue plate special of good talk, a few laughs, and a cup of joe. You ready for our road trip? Then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 178 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, April 10th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who's making all the roads into content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? You know, I'm uh, I'm wonderful. It's it's great to see that the weather has broken here in Cleveland, Ohio. It's we April. A, it's springtime. Well, we did have snow a few days ago. Yeah, Cleveland so, is in bloom. So there's that. Yeah, usually um, today is the home opener, as we record this, Aww. for the Cleveland Indians. And are you generally, going? generally it snows a lot. Okay. Home opener day, but today it is not going to because it is seventy degrees, and I don't think there's there. Who knows? There may be snow later, but right now it's looking good. Are you going to the home opener? Not not going to the home opener. Okay. We do have um, some tickets for this year. Yeah. We are going to the final game. My son and I are going to the final game of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Fan What's going on with the Cleveland Cavaliers? They seem to be giving up. They that they've taken on the Browns, like finding new ways to lose. I actually did watch that game. I thought that being 26 points ahead in the fourth quarter was enough. Yeah. But I was wrong. That's, I was that's what the Browns used wrong. to think, too. <laughs> being you know, 26 points ahead in the fourth quarter would be enough. There is no untouchable franchise here in Cleveland. We get to see it. It goes everywhere. So uh, I don't know. I mean, they've obviously got some problems, but we'll see when they get into the playoffs. Um, right. You never know when you got LeBron. Oh, of course. I mean, that's you know that goes without saying. We'll we'll see we'll see what happens. So, yeah. And you had a you had a lovely weekend. I did have a lovely weekend. I had a, the first uh, weekend in a very long time where I wasn't under some crazy deadline where I could actually go out and enjoy the afternoon and and sort of be out in the day. And it was I have to. There's this thing apparently called the sun. Have you heard of it? It's, the, it's this like. 
thing that comes up and like shines all day. I got to see it. It was it was pretty neat. You you know you can't that doesn't play with you because of Los Angeles. I mean you're no. you're Hollywood. Well, you, it, it you it, see it, it all the time. It, it 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 does play from the Southern California weather, which it, it, I mean that sets the bar rather high for how often I'm actually holed away in my office doing stuff. Um, you know, you know, I spend my days looking for this old marketing examples. That's how, you, that's how have, I spend my life. I thought you had a window <laughs> in your office. I do have a window, um, but I often close it because I'm doing webinars or video conference calls, and the light coming in actually is too bright. It blows out um, the my desk. And it's just too too bright for the camera. So I often. So you, have what it you're saying closed. is, in Los Angeles, the sun is so bright. That you have to go into a portion of your office and close, you know, shutter the windows so that the sun can't get in. So we don't have that problem in Cleveland. That is correct. I, I that is correct. The sun is so bright here in Southern California that I have to wear shades. Is it's is only exactly. yeah, it's only it's only light here from like eleven a.m. to one p.m. So <laughs> no, I'm just, people are going to think that it's like Antarctica or something. Like that. No, I'm just I love Cleveland weather. It's it's the best. <laughs> uh, did we have any did, did news happen this week news happened but before we get to the news we have a new top of the show oh sponsor we need gosh, to talk about I totally forgot we haven't yeah. had a top of the show sponsor in so long I almost forgot that we had a top of the show sponsor place. isn't it awesome but here, here it is absolutely uh, we we are so welcome uh, so thankful to have our guest sponsor here PowerPost and they say welcome to the age of power publishing and if you're going to do publishing Robert, you've got to do power. It's something publishing. that the Cleveland Cavaliers really haven't been able to do much lately, <laughs> which is power post. Thanks, thanks uh, for bringing that in. Yeah. Um, so, as content <laughs> marketers, we understand the importance of creating content that not only educates but inspires consumers to take action. As a result, we have entered a new era of brands as publishers, where brands are increasingly becoming publishers in their own right. And if you listen to the show, about that. You, yeah. you should know this. This should be something that's a known thing. With brand publishing and content distribution come several key steps to the publishing process. But the elongated process of content creation, review, scheduling, and tracking analytics can often take more time than we have. Built by marketers for marketers, which is a good, it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to build something for marketers, it should be built by marketers. And PowerPost is that time-saving tool for companies who manage content for multiple brands with multiple users, whether it's a regulated industry or creative agency. With PowerPost, your team can publish from one location across all your online platforms quickly and efficiently, turning your brand into a power publisher. Now, to help more brands excel at publishing, PowerPost created a comprehensive ebook because if you're going to advertise on this podcast, you have to have something educational. So here's where the educational part comes in, folks. With insights from 50 experts in the content marketing field and strategies on conquering the five pillars of brand publishing, content planning, workflow, distribution, analytics, and conversion, you can get this wonderful comprehensive ebook at cmi.media slash pnr 178 B. That's cmi.media slash pnr178b. Download this fantastic content marketing planning strategy ebook today. And uh, thanks for PowerPost for, you know, finally coming on board. You know, they're powering their way up. I love it. I, I, I mean, I can't wait to are, go read that thing. They're being true to the name, true to the yes. name by being on 
the the most powerful of all content marketing. There it is. Podcast. There it is. Power there podcast. Is. I'm in. I, you know what? I got to tell you right now, Robert. I'm in one of those funky moods. Okay. It's it's gonna be. It's gonna be off the hook today. It's gonna or be, horrible. It's gonna be funky. It's gonna be so funky either. Monkey. So who's ever listening to this? Just know, be warned. This be could warned. be the best episode ever or the worst. There's not going to be anything in between. That's pretty much the start of every episode that we together. <laughs> you never is, know. You, you never, never know. know what you're going to get. All right. Well, All let's right. move on to the let's news then, shall we? Because sure. so as uh, as the audience heard, we had a wonderful opening to this episode where I opened it with a bit of a nostalgic look at Pepsi. And, of course, I did that with a little bit of a tongue in my cheek because, of course, the top of the show story that we have to talk about is what everybody's talking about this week, which is the Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad. Um, And you go, wait a minute. Why would you be guys talking about an advertisement on a content marketing podcast? Well, you'll hear why in just a second here. But the news comes to us courtesy of the Boston Globe, which did a glorious, I have to say glorious, second-by-second breakdown of the Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad. The article opens up by saying, you know what's good? Soda. You know what else is good? Beliefs, causes, movements. Pepsi has married these generic concepts into a new advertisement out on Tuesday featuring Kendall Jenner and Skip Marley's Lions. The ad contains images of protesters, people standing up for things. What are those things? Is Kendall Jenner proclaiming Black Lives Matter? Is this the resistance? Unclear, but drink Pepsi. It then goes on to do a literally second-by-second breakdown of the ad and its ridiculousness-ness-ness-ness. And uh, what did you think? And and, uh, we're going to tie this into content marketing here in just a second, but what did you think of the ad, Joe? You know, it's funny is I saw all the social media commentary go on, but I had not watched it until today. So oh. today was uh, today was the first time I because I knew something bad happened, yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. And I knew it was a Kendall Jenner commercial. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to watch it because I know we were going to talk about it. So I'm like, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and watch this thing. Um, the my first and, and we talked about this right before the show, Robert. My first instinct was this was somebody that had an idea and then went through multiple iterations of that to add things in. And it became what it was. And I really, I would be very interested to see the first version of this. Yeah. uh, To see what, because it just seems to me that it was the wrong person. Kendall Jenner was the wrong person to do something like this. It was, um, of course, the product placement was just wrong. It It just seemed hokey. But more than anything else, and this is where I wanted to get your take, you know, you and I talk a lot about, you know, what's your what's your content mission? What's the sweet spot? What are the areas that you actually have authority to create content around? And this just seems like a mismatch for Pepsi. Where I I believe if you if you know, I've been a big fan of their um, of their Pepsi homepage, the website for a long time because they really focus on entertainment. They are all about entertainment, all about having fun, which is seems to be more along the line with their corporate mission. And then when you get into this, which I guess you'd call activism, I'm not really sure if you would, but it, it doesn't seem like it's a fit. So right off the bat, there's a mismatch. It's something that I don't think that Pepsi's credible or authoritative around this issue. And then you add in, okay, put Kendall Jenner in here, add in uh, a lot of, you know, the blue cello and the, uh, <laughs> and just the weird things happening and, and the amazingly good looking crowd. 
Oh, I mean, yeah. They're beautiful. Everyone was beautiful. Yeah. All different colors. Yeah. It, it was just fantastic. I thought it was great. I'm like, is where is this? Like, what city? Because <laughs> is, is I'd like to go yeah. and see where this this city is. So that was my take, and I don't know if you agree with that, but I think it, even if this was executed perfectly, I think they would have a difficult time pulling this off. I I I 100% agree with you, and this is and so and so. Folks, so that you know why we're tying this into content mm-hmm. at all is because this was created by their newly uh, formed internal content studio, which we've talked about on this show. Um, and we talked about how they were going to start this. And, and in fact, we mentioned it in the workshops that we do and, and everything that we do from a, you know, from a consulting and advisory perspective. We talk about this new internal, very ambitious content studio that they're actually building or have built in New York. And uh, and this was the theoretically, I'm guessing, one of the very first things that's coming out of this internal content studio. And it just to me was the perfect sort of quintessential example of what we see so often happen to great ideas that try to become content ideas in companies. You know, the B2B example of this is somebody writes an amazing white paper. And it, this got a distinctive point of view. It's got an argument. It's got wonderful thought leadership in it. It takes a position on something. It's talking about some big industry trend. And then it goes to the product people and it goes to the brand people and it goes to the PR people and it goes to legal and compliance yep. and it comes out and it's still 7,000 words, but it's been, you know, it's been completely mangled. This to me, this is exactly what happened here. I'm. I bet the first version of the script and idea here. I'll bet you there was something interesting here. I'll bet you there was an interesting piece of content, and somebody along the way said, "Hey, this is an interesting piece of content. We're getting a big star here. We should probably do something with the product here." Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. We're spending a lot of money. What's the ROI? Oh gosh, we'll make it a TV ad. Great, we'll make it a TV ad. It'll become working media. Therefore, it's working media. So therefore, we can get better ROI. We can put more budget into it. We can hire Kendall Jenner. Now we have to have more product into it because it is working media and we have to have an ROI. And and by the end of it, it turns into this horrible, horrible thing that we saw. It's basically just content by committee, which is, 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 is such, such a bad idea. Um, and you know, it, it, it turned into what it turned in. Did you see the, uh, the, the Saturday night live? Um, I did, version? I did not. They um, did a, so what happened? They did a very funny spoof of it where there's a guy on the phone basically during the shoot and they're like, okay, we're getting ready to shoot. Get Kendall on the set, get these people on the set. And he's on the phone talking with his girlfriend going, yeah, isn't this cool? Here's the concept for this ad that we're shooting right now. And then he's like, uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, really? You think it's in bad taste? Uh, oh. Okay, can you put your mom on? And he goes, yeah, hi, here's the thing. Oh, you think it's bad too. Oh, hey, can you put your like African-American girlfriend on? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh you think, <laughs> he just basically has this. And then he's like running over to the director going, can we stop? Can we stop? And the director's like, no, shoot it. <laughs> so it's very funny. But, but I think uh, that, but it's, what's interesting is, is, I mean, we obviously you said, talked about it we covered the the pepsi launch and the mandalay launch of their in-house content studio and the vision for that at least in most cases if you look at aero electronics and you look at what coca-cola's tried to do and some you you don't generally look at uh interruptive media uh i mean you don't look at i mean it's not ad placement it's not media placement generally the purpose for an in-house 
content studio, if you will, or Marriott is a really good example of this, is is to create owned media. I mean, that, that you could put revenue, put paid behind, but to actually create you know, some assets that can work for the business that don't necessarily mention the brand at all, but you're really trying to you know focus on the needs of your core audience and create that kind of engagement. So that that's where, when you told me that this was the content studio, I was like, you got to be kidding me. This is the stuff they're focusing on. I, I would hope that they do a little pivot from here. Well, that's and, the and, whole, yeah, I mean, that's really it, right? I mean, you know, I mean. But I get just, how this can happen. To your point, of course. it happens very easily. It, it, you're, it, following the, you're following the money and the politics around the organization. This is, this is the class, I mean, just to even to the theme of our show this week, this is the classic idea of somebody has a wonderfully innovative big idea. Let's create a content studio. This is, you know, that's innovative, right? Let's drive revenue out of this thing. Let's do interesting pieces of content. Let's let's really do something big and meaningful. And again, total assumption here. Somebody goes, "Let's do some I mean, let's let, we've just invested all this money in this big content studio thing. Let's do something really interesting. Let's do something on what's going on right now in culture." around, you know, the, you know, beliefs, causes, movements, you know, this is a big thing. And then somebody went, you know, causes and movements with millennials are a thing and we should make it happy. It should be a happy making thing. And we should, we should put the product in because Pepsi makes people smile and it'll even make cops smile. And then somebody went, yeah, okay, that's, you know, that's fine. Instead of sticking to their guns and saying, no, this is, if we're going to do something interesting, let's do something interesting. And and they just didn't, and it just becomes this sort of amalgamation of stuff, and and this is what you get on the backside of it. I mean, yeah. you know, part of me wants to say, good for Pepsi for trying something really like interesting and different, but this was so not that, just clearly not that that it's that it's that it's hard to like you know congratulate them for you know in other words i've seen other brands do some you know we talked about on this show I can't even remember how many episodes it was ago where Starbucks tried to do the let's have a conversation and they put that, you know, they said, we're going to put a hashtag. I can't even remember what it was. Start a conversation or something on the cups. And it was going to be about diversity or, or something like that. And it was like, you know, let's have a serious conversation in a coffee shop. And they just got raked over the coals for it. Right. You know, how dare you, you know, baristas, you know, putting hashtags on coffee cups. That's ridiculous. But it was interesting because to me it was like, okay, well at least they tried, they tried something, you know, they didn't, didn't work. It wasn't, you know, it, it, it didn't resonate and it failed, but it was big and interesting. And it was, they, they took a risk. And I would like to say that this is in that same vein, but I don't think it is. I think it's. I think this is a classic example of where basically the 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 product and the brand got in the way of telling an interesting story. You say it all the time, and you've been saying it for years. It's a new muscle in the organization. Yeah, and you really have to work at it to get yeah. good at it. So this is. Hey, you're right. Kudos to them for trying something different. I just like the focus in a different place and. And I'm I'm under the assumption that next time we'll we'll see something a little bit more to your point interesting, so. or not right. So this is the, the other bad thing that happens is when something like this goes down is is everybody goes back into their hole. Oh, that's right. They to, might nobody. Yeah, wants I to mean, come you could again. see. You're right. You could see in the next couple of weeks that uh, uh, marketing layoffs or firings are happened, and the right. the, the, the in the experiment grand experiment didn't work. Yeah, um, I hope that's not the case because I, I do think too. they're on the right direction with the yep. in-house content I, studio. I do so, too. Yeah. 
All right. Well, speaking of pivots and speaking of wonderful innovation and on the other side of that coin, our next story comes to us courtesy of TheMediaBriefing.com, and it is one of Joe's favorite new case studies here. And the headline is, How Dennis Publishing's Willingness to Pivot Underpins Its Profitability. The article opens up by saying, there's an old saying about the futility of trying to ice skate uphill, but that's nevertheless... Is that an old saying? I'm I'm not really (laughs) sure that's really an old saying. Anyway, yeah. But that's nevertheless what a handful of publishers are doing. Having chosen to tilt at the windmills of Google and Facebook for digital ad revenue, some publishers are trying to go up against the huge digital retailers for e-commerce dollars, and it's not going to work. That's why we've always argued that if a publisher wants to get in on the e-commerce game, they'd best concentrate on selling high-ticket items on a smaller scale. And that's why Dennis Publishing, winners of last year's British Media Awards Media Company of the Year Award, is seeing success doing exactly that. Its chief executive, James Ty, speaking about the publisher's success with buyacar.co.uk, said just uh, as much um, and the article goes on to explain the CEO sort of positioning and how they have actually been able to successfully pivot into being a product company. I know you love this story. To tell, uh, tell me why. Well, I mean, th- this is a, a good chunk of – well, there's a large case study in our book, Killing Marketing, coming out in September. That's right. On Dennis Publishing. And it's it's funny because I, I there's probably two years ago I never heard of Dennis Publishing and now it's I hear about every everything I look at you know like when you you never you see right. a logo once and then you're like I've never seen that right. before and then you see it everywhere right you never that, see the car you bought until you buy the car and now all of a sudden I every car on the freeway everyone's is your car. yeah everyone's yeah. got the same car and that's yeah. what I see in Dennis and did I tell you that I was reading um, that Andy Crestadina recommended that I read the book How to Be Rich you did okay you did. Yeah. I, I don't know if I talked about it. So anyways, that's the the founder of Dennis Publishing, co-founder of Dennis Publishing, writes that book. And so now I'm sort of going through how they think about things. And I love this paragraph. I need to read this. It's in the article that we're going to link to in the show notes. But it says, far from having a breaking and entering approach to consumer habits, trying to force an interrupted product into a consumer's habits, Dennis started by examining what it knows about the potential audience and deciding where a new product can fit into their lives. Do you know how earth-shattering that is for a media company? I know. <laughs> right? You can't let that exactly. go. What they're saying is that they focus on the audience. They build a relationship with that audience. They get to know that audience better than anyone else. And then they figure out, well, what is that audience buying? And what makes sense for us to launch since they're buying those things? And I, th- the fact that they... Focus on this con- this customer centered model first, and then they overlay the business model. And it goes on. I don't know exactly where in this article, but they the uh, is it James Ty, the CEO. Yes, that's right. The James CEO, Ty. yeah, talks about how we where most media companies, and by the way, most product and brand companies do the same thing. They focus on oh, what's our model? What do we do? Do we sell? cans of soda do we sell media you know what do we sell and everything that they're talking about at dennis is they say well we focus on the audience and the needs we focus on that uh and like whatever that communication is how we're communicating with them and then we then we figure out the business model that's right that is earth shattering and i wish everyone on listening to this (laughs) right now would start to adopt that kind of mentality because this is exactly what we talk about in our book, Killing Marketing. It's obviously, that's the core premise of Content Inc., my last book. 
It's exactly right. this. And I and just to see some a large company like this, and, and long story short is, they sell a lot of cars now. Right. Because they realized that two-thirds of their audience were in the process of buying a car. And they, ne- they didn't sell any cars. And they said, well, shoot, the, our audience are buying cars. Maybe we should sell cars. And they said, well, instead of getting into the Amazon dot com e-commerce business they said well how do we sell high fewer of high value items and that's when they came up selling cars i just love it i can't talk about them enough i go no it's 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 such a it's such a great story and it you know we're starting to see it more and more and more you know i mean this is you know not to you know so you go oh cars you know of course cars that make sense but you know look at the flip side of that with lego right this is what, if you look at the turnaround that Lego has been, not not a lot of people, and this is, amazes me, not a lot of people actually know the fact that Lego was, Lego was a dead brand in the early 2000s. I mean, this is a turnaround story for Lego yeah, uh, over the last decade. And what they realized was is that they were truly a media company, a media brand, and could leverage a media brand to figure out how to sell more bricks. And that, to me, is the same exact story just coming from the product company side. They basically said, we need to transform into what we do into understanding what the audience really wants. You know, we can we can make it up. You know, we can tr- figure out and go put a bunch of product development dollars into figuring out if it's castles or if it's, you know, spaceships or, you know, uh, cities or something like that. Or... We can develop a media brand where the audience will align with the kinds of things and and the kinds of things that really resonate with them, and they'll tell us what kind of products that we should be building our bricks out of. You know, we should. They'll tell us that we should be putting a deal together with you know Lucasfilms for Star Wars, and that we should be putting together some sort of thing for Batman and 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 these kinds of things, and then. They evolved it even further to say, okay, well, now that we've conceived that we can make these licensing agreements, we can actually make our own. Yep. We can actually make our own movies and sort of help the audience tell us which one's going to resonate. And so, and we can make a theme park out of it. And, you know, every company now has this opportunity to understand what an audience cares about and Mm -hmm. use that to their advantage. It doesn't have to be to the leverage point of, what Dennis Publishing is doing in selling cars or to the leverage point of what Lego is doing, it can be simply as simple as, as, as looking at and saying, what tweaks or what things should we be adding to our product to make it better and more saleable to the people that we're trying to sell it to? This is the classic trying to understand your buyer today, and it's one of the biggest values that an audience will give you because guess what? They'll freely give it to you. Yep. They'll freely give you this information if you just deliver them some value in return. And to me, that's such a simple business case to make. And, and it's one that is, you know, we're so focused these days on short-term returns in marketing where if it doesn't produce a lead in the first, you know, 10 minutes of, it ex- of its existence, it's not worth creating. And that is such a short-sighted and such a a flawed way to go about the practice of marketing. And it's, you know, I mean, you know, you and I both rant about this in the, in the, in the book, it, we have to change marketing to look at it this way or marketing will not survive. Well, there, there's two quick things on that. First of all, your whole point about Lego, I, what I love about that, it's just, it, it, you need to take, you just, you just need to look at what they did with the Lego movie and you've said this many times on this podcast. They created the movie, and then they then they created the products from the movie. That's right. That's right. They didn't. Yeah, they, how, how does nine, How do ninety nine point nine percent of companies do it? 
They right. have the products and services, or they create the products and services, and then they create the content. They did That's the right. opposite with the Lego movie, which is why they always they couldn't keep any of those products on the shelves once they once they came out with it. It's That's exactly amazing. right. It's exactly um, right. The second thing is, I just wanted to you know throw a shout out to our friend Brian Clark over at Copy Blogger. I was just talking to him. I saw him at Social Media Marketing World, and we were talking a little bit He's about. He's got a audience. man bun now. Um, I didn't see him with the man bun. His hair is long, though. His, his hair, hair was all long. It was all there was no man bun to be had in San, okay. in San Diego. Maybe he's only wearing the man bun when he's <laughs> in Colorado. He might come punch me out. I don't. Hey, I don't know what's going. <laughs> but the, but we were talking about it, and he said, um, you know, we were talking about him and how many different products he launched off of the backs of Copy Blogger and building it up his audience. And he says, you know, we never had a failing product. Because we always focused on the audience first, and they told us exactly what we were supposed to sell. What you, what right. did you want? You want, you want this software piece? You want this training and education? You want this event? Whatever the case. And then he would launch those things. He says that's why we never failed, because that we knew they were going to win. We already had the insight from the audience. Yeah, I know. By the way, I think you and I know how hard it is to do this for most companies. Oh, it's so hard. It's but so very it hard. It works. It absolutely works. It's just different. It's like you were saying before the show, just about the you know the the history of Pepsi and following the four P's and how those how that worked for so long, and now it doesn't. That's right. So it's a, yeah, it's 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 a you know I mean, and it doesn't mean here's the thing: it doesn't mean that there isn't value in the four P's and that there's not value in looking at the classic traditional approaches of marketing. It just it's a it's a shift. It's a fundamental shift in the way that we actually go about leading our marketing efforts. You know, so many. You know, I mean, I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had. Oh, in the last six months, that talk about you know the classic relationship for how we set a marketing strategy and it goes a little like this we we write a creative brief about our brand product creative brief goes to agency agency comes back with proposal for media plan and for advertising plan we do that campaigns are created campaigns then inform content content then is then created in varying degrees of you know of success and that's the way we follow and we're hoping to build some sort of audience off of these creative campaigns that yep. we've basically presupposed would be valuable to our consumer and instead and and this is the part where CMOs like their they, their head starts to spin and, and the content people start gulping because this is such a big idea to them. I said, what if we did it in reverse? What if the, actually the content people were the most strategic in the company? And the content people actually led by creating um, the content strategy, storytelling strategy, experience strategy, and then we used advertising campaigns to feed that strategy. You know, in other words, we used advertising to promote our, the stories that we want to tell and the value that we want to deliver through media to a consumer audience. How would that have changed the Pepsi equation, right? What if we yeah. had, what if they had created an entire, and this is just to your point, the permission of telling the story. What if they had created an entire initiative around telling something around movements and beliefs and changing beliefs and changing movements? That's something really interesting there. Roll that out, gotten permission. The audience tells them what they have permission to say, what they have, um, what they need to go get permission to do. Use that in a long-term play to then build the ability 
And this Pepsi ad then comes out a year from now or a year and a half from now, and everybody goes, yeah, of course, this is part of their story. This is what they're doing. Exactly. But yeah. now when it comes out, it feels completely like out of random nowhere. Like, what are you talking about? Who are you? You know what's anyway. a great – you know what is a great – Another, I know we're rambling about this, but a really great example. You mentioned Starbucks before and how they had that little slip-up. Yeah. Think about anything that happens with veterans – concerns about veterans – yeah, they're they are right in the middle of that conversation because they have multiple books about it. They have multiple initiatives around veteran, and it took them a long time to get there. But now they are in that conversation. They launch anything on the importance of veterans and the concerns and healthcare, well being of veterans. You would you don't think twice about that. That's part of their mission, of course. So yep. to to your point, you're absolutely right. You you just can't come up. But if they never talked about that tomorrow and then did a two minute ad about oh our concern for vet- veterans, nobody would believe it. That's right. So anyways, anyway, anyway, anyways, anyways. Anyway, anyway, go follow. I love Dennis Publishing. Go yeah. follow and see what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, whether you are a product brand, service company, or a media company, look yeah. at what they're doing. Absolutely. Well, one quick story here, and we'll just cover this quickly um, before we uh, for our last story of the show here. And it comes to us courtesy of ZazzleMedia.co.uk, and it is the apparently the state of content marketing in the UK 2017 um, research that was sent to us, and we absolutely took a look at it as the state of the content marketing state, as it were, in the UK. Um, complete with Brexit and all of that. Um, <laughs> at the beginning of 2017, it says we spoke to thousands of marketing decision makers in the UK about content marketing. The results highlighted some of the toughest obstacles marketers will be facing this year, as well as noteworthy budgetary trends and the best spend of marketing budget too. The uh, research then goes on to highlight much of the stuff that we talk about in our research. Um, and I know you had a bit of a challenge with this. Um, what was that? Well, first of all, I love the folks at Zazzle. Yes, uh, Simon absolutely. Penson, the, the yeah. CEO, has, has been a great fan of uh, CMI. So, of course, downloaded. And by the way, the report itself is not, I wouldn't say identical, but really darn close to yeah. our UK benchmark very, study. Yep, very. Uh, so it's, it's good to good to see yeah, that it's, there's... It's a, yeah, it's a, so basically they say, you know, 62% um, aren't sure about how to deliver ROI from their yep. content marketing. We've seen these very similar things with our report. 6% uh, are clear on their objectives and results for content marketing. It's a very small number in our study as well. So we've seen those things. I can't find who the thousands. You know, I always pick apart research projects because I want to know who did they who did they go to? Who in the UK filled this out? Were they small companies? Were they large companies? Were they individuals? Were they IT people? Were the is it the janitorial team? I don't know. You wanted I, the demographic break. I wanted to know. I want to yeah. know who fills it out. I can't find it. It's not in the ebook report. So to my to anybody doing research. If you say that you have the state of your industry, you actually have to include who you talk to. You have to do that. And I th- I know they have it. And maybe it just got cut and maybe I'm missing it. I like I could be completely wrong. I I looked at this whole thing and I can't find it. Maybe you maybe maybe you did you find it? I did not. I did not. I feel I bad cuz I'm really looking cuz if I miss it, I'm going to feel horrible that I missed it and then I'm I'm ragging on them about it, but it's it's not here. You have to, you have to, you have to actually say who you talk to. Yeah, I mean, I did notice that the the 
just like you, that the results largely mirrored what we found both in our North American study as well as the UK segmentation of that, which was, you know, budgets are going up. We're, we're creating, you know, they're, they're creating more content than ever before that people feel generally positive about it, but we're really struggling with measurement. We're really struggling with scalability. It's the same issues, right? Yeah. That we're, that we're, that we're, you know, so, uh, you know, to me, the, the headline coming out of this is, you know, the same stuff that we've been, you know, that we're working on and have been working on all year and last year and will continue to work on in the coming year, which is helping get more measurement, uh, you know, sort of frameworks into place and also, you know, to everything that we just talked about on this show, separating out the idea of campaign oriented thinking and content marketing and that, you know, they're just different and, you know, attributing value to them happens in a different way. And, and we, of course, you know, proselytize the, the different ways of doing that. But, but until you start looking at content in a different, you know, with a different value proposition than advertising, you know, it's not just an alternative form of advertising. You've got to look at it in a different way. And until you do that, you know, I was having this conversation just literally last week with a brand that I was visiting with. And it's, the, the challenge is because the CMO said to me, well, why shouldn't we just look at content as another way that we communicate through, you know, paid media means? And I said, because the thing is, when you go to an agency or you go to anybody and you say, give me an ad, the agency is going to come back to you or the creative person is going to come back to you and say, great, I will give you an ad for X amount of dollars. And you say, great, go do that. And then that agency or that creative person is going to come back to you and say, here's three versions of said ad. And there, you know, pick which one you like. And we always like, you know, mixture of one and three, which drives the agency or creative person crazy. But we do that. You mash those things up together. You come up with a three A or a four and you choose that ad and you run that ad and you go get ROI out of the spend of that ad. Now go ask that agency or a creative person for a piece of content. And the immediate question back is going to be, how good would you like it to be? <laughs> because if you want it good, it's going to cost you Y dollars. And if you just want a, you know, a, a top 10 list of why you should have aluminum siding on your house, you're going to get X price. And so quality content costs more. And if the only equation that we can apply to it is the return which we get off of how much money we spend promoting it to get leads – it inevitably bumps into a ceiling of saying we can't spend very much on content. And in fact, we can't spend more on content than we spend on advertising. And the dirty little secret here is, is that content costs more to create than advertising because there is a quality factor to it. And so if you only measure it as an alternative form of advertising, you immediately limit yourself into how you can measure it and, and create it. And so that's, the, that's why it has to be treated differently. Well, the other thing, it's, it's a great point, but the other thing is when that happens and you say, who is the ad targeted to? Generally, it's a, it's a broad, it's, you know, you're 18 to 49, you're, you know, women in this situation, men in this situation, whatever the case is. It's such, generally, such a broad uh, swath of an audience. For content to work, you can't, let's, let's say the person said, I absolutely want the highest quality possible. Do you know how targeted and specific you have to get with that audience so that it is actually valuable, relevant, and worth the time spent? That that's the other thing that you can't you can't target multiple personas and want quality content because it's not going to happen. You're asking for the impossible, and that's, that's where right. a lot of brands aren't used to doing that. 
And by the way, agencies aren't either. So right off the bat, if you're targeting a broad audience or multiple personas at the same time, you are setting yourself up for disaster. It's disaster. It's disaster. <laughs> it's not. It's going. It's disaster. We it's should make a work. movie. We should make a movie poster. <laughs> J.K. should make a movie poster called the the marketing like the, in the old seventies, like Towering Inferno or Air, uh, you know, Air airport you know movies oh my gosh yes the, the coming disaster of of the marketing and advertising um yeah maybe i'm maybe that's just so me. you know I long story short funny. back to the 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 uh, the study is dead on because we're making a lot of mistakes right now we're we're just at the very beginning i keep oh my thinking gosh, yes well I, I think some. this was an interview I was on like a year ago. I think I said, you know, if I always put it into baseball terms. <laughs> if this was a baseball game, yeah, we're right. in like we're the, in the first second inning, or right. third inning. No, we're not. We're, <laughs> yeah, I think, right. We're, we're, we're putting on our shoes. Right. That's basically where we're, we're not even, we're, we're just getting out of the shower, folks. We're in the bullpen. It, we're yeah. not doing, yeah, there's nothing, there's there's nothing. It's it's way so, way too far away. Yeah. So we well, try. Well, fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Well, speaking of we try. And yeah. speaking of just high value, high value stuff, yes. we have another wonderful sponsor, our continuing sponsor here continuing to talk sponsor. about a little bit. Yes, yeah. our good our good friends at Parsley. The spiciest, the spiciest of all sponsors, I'd say. Although Parsley's not a it's not a spicy herb. It's I know. It, well it can be. It can be you can get a really good fresh parsley and it it'll put a it'll put a tart in your mouth, that's for sure. What? I've never heard of this. No, is this a thing? Are you put? Is it you're making this up? I'm not making this up. No, I, I don't know where you get your parsley, but parsley that I get from the farmers. Is market there like is, a hotness scale or a spiciness no, scale? Like no, you get it like BW three no. of it's just good parsley is 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 so good. Got a, got so a bit good of, parsley has yeah. some kick to it. It does. Oh lord. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> with God, with content and create. Oh jeez, would they be so mad at us because we're like talking about the herb? No. Hey, they'll never forget that Parsley has been a sponsor of the show for the last four weeks. That is With correct. content creation and promotion comes a lot of data. If you have a digital audience, there's a good chance that you have trouble connecting the information your data provides with a way to use it to improve your content strategy. But don't worry. Don't worry, folks. You're not alone. Parsley, the company, not the herb has researched the state of content analytics with a survey of publishers, brands, and and multiple others that create content. The report they produced on the findings reveals that metrics the industry considers most useful, the siloed state of brand and publisher offices when it comes to data access and how their analytics end up impacting the content they create. You can get this amazing report at cmi.media slash pnr178. That's cmi.media slash PNR178. And make sure, if you haven't downloaded it the last few weeks, make sure you do that. Can't thank Parsley enough for uh, for, for spending some time with, with Joe and Robert, yeah. or Robert and Joe, or this old marketing, Absolutely. or whatever you want. On the road. On the road. And now I have to go out, and I have to find this Fresh parsley, parsley with a kick. Absolutely. You try I, it. What do, you I put, what do I put it on? Oh, well, it's good on chicken. It's great in soup. I love it in soup. That's where I like a good parsley in a chicken soup. Oh, chicken soup with the parsley kicker. Absolutely. Got it. You got it. I'm on it. I'm in it. 
on it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we're making roads or something that makes us feel like we're out of gas and stuck on the side of the road. Um, And let's see, I'm going first because I have this old marketing this week. And I have a bit of a rant. I, I don't know if it's Ooh, a rant or not. I don't know. You haven't a, done a rant. You haven't had a good rant in a long time. Well, this is say. not going to be one of those kinds of rants. It's oh. it's a it's a mini rant. Um, and it just it's so the show where we'll link to in the show notes here is uh, an Ad Age article, and the headline is IPG's Michael Roth throws shade at consulting companies competing with the ad shops. And he he covers a lot of topics, and basically this is a rundown of Michael Roth, who, by the way, is the Interpublic Group um, chairman and CEO. So he is basically the Martin Sorrell um, of WPP. Of he's the Martin Sorrell of Interpublic Group IPG, um, which is a classic ad media agency. Um, and he covered a whole bunch of stuff in his. This was his keynote to the four A's. Um, transformation conference and he talked about a lot of things but the one that i wanted to sort of talk about was this he starts out by sort of and this it's the subject of the headline where he talks and he really just lays down and says basically that consulting firms like accenture and 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 those kinds of firms that are trying to get into marketing and advertising um are trying to get into the business because their own business isn't doing particularly well and i you know <laughs> i'm sorry i read that i'm like oh i can't wait to Robert and i just went i just want to go oh michael you're adorable you're just adorable with the whole thing they're not doing very well you know you just need to rethink that because they're doing quite well thank you very much and they're expanding into this business and normally I would be like, you know, I used to have this thing where you look at those consulting firms, the Accentures and, and, and those kinds of companies and, and you go, yeah, but they can't do creative. No, they can. They absolutely can do creative. I've seen and I'm personally working with some of these very large organizations that are hiring these companies to do good, solid creative. And the work coming out of that is just really, really interesting. Um, and so, you know, if you're in an ad agency or you, you know, you work with a big ad agency and they're throwing shade at the big consulting firms, I think it's, you know, do that at your own peril because I think this is, I, I think this is something that if ad agencies don't get their, you know, what together is something, you know, and I get why he's sort of positioning this, you know, he's sort of out there trying to, you know, he's pitching to other four A's, you know, people and yeah. basically trying to throw shade on the, consulting companies but you know do so at your own peril because i think that is just a huge mistake i think this is the biggest threat to big ad agencies right now and i've said it before on this show and i'll say it again they're doing good work um and whether or not it's the right model or whether or not they should be doing the work it doesn't matter they're getting into it and they're doing quite well at it and they're also handling the more interesting parts quite frankly which isn't sort of just creating more tv ads it's the actual business transformation. It's the business transformation of these large organizations and helping them become, and they are becoming a trusted advisor. So not to, you know, three, whatever it was, three or four shows ago, I had talked about how publishers needed to add strategy to their sort of quiver of services that they were adding if they were going to actually get into this business. Well, guess who's got strategy in spades? You know, and again, whether you value it or not, or not it doesn't matter they've got strategy and the business transformation and the con- trusted advisor relationship with the c-suite of these large organizations and if ad agencies don't step up here and start adding that back into their mix 
instead of just becoming, you know, hey, we need to rely on classic TV advertising and, you know, high levels of creative to survive, they will not survive. And so I just thought it was a really interesting thing. He goes on to then talk about the stuff that we talked about last week with regard to the, um, uh, you know, the some of their clients that have been, quite frankly, boycotting YouTube against, you know, what they're doing in the way of, you know, putting their ads alongside stuff, um, you know, that that's not as seemly as it were and, and boycotting YouTube in the process. And interestingly, he disagrees. So Martin Sorrell, who then, who's from WPP has basically said the boycott doesn't make any sense and blah, blah, blah. Well, he's by the way, all in on the programmatic side because they have a whole programmatic product that they're offering out into the marketplace. And IPG, who has a lot of the comp, the clients who actually did, um, is basically saying, well, you know, we're going to figure it out. But in the meantime, and this is the part that made me laugh, he goes, yeah, we're going to figure out, you know, and we're going to let the clients make their own decisions and all of that. But in the meantime, we're going to be recommending more television. And it's just, I, why, why these companies can't just bring themselves to, to say the word content? It just, it, it just puzzles me. It, 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 it puzzles me because I don't know whether they're sort of, just resistant because it's new and it's interesting and different and weird and it's just something that they don't have any muscles to do or if there is an active sort of disdain for the idea of content marketing and creating interesting content. You know, having attended as many meetings as I have with these large agencies, the practitioners in there are all in, right? They're saying, oh, we're creating some cool stuff, but it's all like really small little tiny projects that are getting done over here. And nobody's like, I, I just can't understand why some of these larger agencies aren't going like full all in and making a big bet here just to the theme of the show and, you know, making a big bet on content somewhere. And these are the kinds of guys who you would think would do it. The Martin Sorrells and, um, and you know, and, 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 and Michael Roth. So anyway, I, I don't know that there's a point there, but it's just that I thought it was interesting that, these large ad agencies holding companies seem to be just like holding to this like classic, you know, they're, they're like rearranging the deck chairs on the ship as it's going down. And it just fascinates me that nobody's out there talking about what we do. You know what the thing is though, look at, look at social media, right? I mean, look at what's happened with social media and, and how that change was, oh, this is going to change communications for brands and we're going to market differently. But really, yeah. it came back to a fairly predictable model. And I, I, I use your line all the time where the, you know, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, the NBC, ABC, and CBS of our time. That's right. And, you know that's going to get us. That's going to get attributed to you now. You realize this? Well, this. I told you I market better than you. You come up with the really original thinking, yeah. and I go out and talk about it. But I do credit you every time. Just sometimes they forget. It's actually you. You talking? But think think about that. Yeah. So agencies are. I mean, agency representatives know that, and they like. Well, shoot, look at that. Didn't hurt us. That's right. Fine. Like now that's we're selling exactly a lot right. of paid programmatic. It's working really great. Fantastic. I don't know if they see that with content. I don't know if they see that this is something different that a brand um, that you, you actually have to take this seriously. Like this, this is something seismic. This is a different way to communicate altogether. Maybe they think it's a fad. Yeah. That's what that. That's what the article sounded like. Oh, and yeah. To, to your point. Oh, aren't they cute? Aren't these? Aren't these brands cute that right. they do these content things? It's so nice. They'll be back. You know, that's kind of what I read into it. Yeah. 
yeah. Anyway, so, so there you have there it. You go. Uh, my uh, my rave is really really quick, and it's just more of a recommendation than anything else. And I don't know. Do you uh, do you listen to or ever watch sixty minutes? Do you ever? Oh yeah, I, oh, I yeah. watch it. I watch it pretty much. I don't ever watch it live. I tend to watch it watch taped it on, on like Monday night or something. Yeah. So whatever reason, because I was I watched the end of the Masters, I think, and then oh, it, what a fantastic it, end of that. Oh that my god, tournament. congratulations to Sergio Garcia. I know a lot yeah, of people don't holy, like him, but man, holy. was he de- he was well deserving of of uh, that thing. Um, so after that came on a whole. Um, a couple episodes about the addiction of smartphone and apps. And my son, my youngest son was, was there with us and we were sort of watching the whole thing. And I just wanted to recommend if you have time to take a look at it, there's a couple of episodes that you can check when you go to the cbsnews.com site and you go to 60 minutes overtime. There's uh, there's a whole section called brain hacking. There's another one called why do you have cell phone separation anxiety? And Anderson Cooper is the guy that's doing all these interviews and coming up, but it's just it's fascinating, and I, and you you know this, right? You know that the goal of Apple and Samsung and Facebook is to is to get you addicted. At, and and you know you think you think about that, you're like, of course, of course, that's what they're trying to do. They want, and they call it engagement, and they're trying to get us more. But they're actually doing some things to really try to stimulate certain parts of your brain so that it actually is addicting. And that it's just fascinating to me and, and just to watch it. And I think if you could watch it with your kids so that they know, like, and that's why you and I talked before the program. It's like, hey, if you get it and, and fine, but you need to know that these things are happening. And the one thing that I thought was really interesting there, um, Ramsey Brown, I think his name is Anderson Cooper was interviewing him and, and they're, they're coming up with some apps and they came up specifically with an app that they wanted to sell on the iTunes store that if you download it, what it does is before you go into, let's say, Facebook, it's like a meditation app. So it just, oh, wow. it, so it's like 10 seconds of breathing and just saying, you know, remember like the good things in your life and all that kind of stuff, focus on the positive. And it's supposed to, you know, sort of curb your usage of certain apps. And they submitted the app to the iTunes store and it was, and it was declined specifically because they don't allow any apps of the iTunes store that will inhibit the the purchase or download of other apps <laughs> do you believe that that's so awesome. or the usage or less smartphone time so that. i just think and and it's there's a actually there's a couple uh teachers that are talking on there and they're they're trying to figure out you know what is how does this affect learning over the next you know 20 years so there's some long-term studies going on so there's it's probably 20 minutes all in all of different series that i would recommend so if you get a chance take a look at it if you think it's appropriate and you've got um, kids, you know, teenage kids or younger with smartphones that are spending a lot of time uh, on their device. It's worth them watching this so they they can at least see what's going on. Because um, the guy that one of the guys that was uh, sort of the main interviewee, he used to work at Google. His company oh, was wow. bought out by okay. Google, and he talked about how they're and he wrote a Jerry Maguire manifesto, and he submitted it, and it got. Uh, the founders of Google read it and there was supposed to be some initiative. And he said, nothing was ever done because what they keep saying is like, we want it to be, we want to focus on more engagement and user experience. And what he's saying is, is that a lot of that engagement and user experience is extremely negative to the person. It helps the company, 
but it does not help the individual. So he's trying to focus on, look, if you're going to do this, and this is kind of back to you know, what we want to think about as brands is focus on things that are really needed, really helpful, really useful um, so that the people can go on uh, on about their day and, and, and just be more productive people. And what he was talking about, what Anderson really Cooper really came to is that these devices and these apps are making us less and less productive every yep. day. And so that's the, you know, that's the kind of the concern if you know that you've got kids and even us, you know, I mean, I could, it's hard to believe that the average, the average person looks at their smartphone 150 times a day. It's amazing. The it's average a, person. Yeah. God. It's so anyways, it's amazing. CBSnews.com. We'll put it in the, uh, in the show notes uh, on 60 Minutes. And it was a great little series. I highly recommend it. Fascinating. And right to the theme of the show as well, which is, you know, getting lost in the little things gets us, you know, not focusing on the big things in life. Um, Okay. So, uh, yeah, you have an interesting... We have a... This is a... This, you know, I mean, in the scheme of this old marketing, this is not sort of your classic example, but I think you're really going to like this. Okay. Um, And so... I'm doing my normal sort of, you know, this is, you know, this is me hold away in my office with the, you know, the blinds down and no sunshine coming in. And I'm looking for this old marketing examples and doing my research and in, in, in various things. And I come across this article uh, from 1996. So 21 years ago, if you can believe that, which is amazing to me, 1996 is 21 years ago. <laughs> Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the headline of the article, um, and we're going to link to this in the show notes, is Chicago firm to buy farmer stockman magazines sale to farm progress will result in a loss of 23 local jobs. And this is a... Um, uh, a, a local article from a newspaper that's uh, in uh, in Spokane, Spokane, Washington, which is where this farmer stockman uh, company is. And the article is basically it says, you know, Northwest Farmer Stockman, a Spokane-based publisher of agricultural magazines that date back 112 years. So just keep that in mind. These magazines have been publishing continuously for 112 years. Said Monday, and this is in 1996, that it has agreed to sell the magazines to a Chicago company, which is Farm Progress. Now, Farm Progress had a magazine called Prairie uh, Farmer, which was, quite frankly, the oldest magazine in existence. Um, It's the oldest print magazine in, in the U.S., goes back 156 years, I think, um, and is still in publication today, um, now owned by, dun-dun-dun, Penton Media, Penton which, Media. of course, is yeah. uh, which is Joe's uh, alma mater there. Anyway, coming back to this article, I'm like reading, you're like, what What does this article have to do with content marketing? Well, they start the article goes through and sort of tells a little bit of the history of this farmer stockman uh company. And basically, the Farmer Stockman Company was a publishing company that they'd published these magazines, Inland Farmer, Pacific Farmer, Idaho Farmer, Montana Farmer, Utah Farmer, you get the trend here. Yep. Um, and basically, the combined circulation of all those magazines was 86,000. Here's the funny part. They had been publishing all of these magazines, not to make advertising revenue. And in fact, what they had said was advertising had sort of gone away for them as a revenue model. What they discovered was they could get into the insurance business. And so Farmer Stockman pivoted sometime previous, like in the 80s, and became an insurance company. And they started using the magazines to actually 
basically offer up subscribers of the magazines specialized insurance for farmers. Because why? They understood what farmers needed, and they understood what that audience wanted, and they had a trusted relationship with these farmers and could offer them insurance. And so as part of the deal, when they sold this company in 1996 to Farm Progress was they had a 20-year agreement with the publishing company, which was Farm Progress at the time, pre-Penton acquisition, that they would be able to sell subscribers and be the exclusive provider of insurance services, you know, sale to these subscribers of these magazines. So you've got to figure basically their bet was Farm Progress can make a bigger success out of these magazines. We still have our main business, which is insurance, and we'll basically continue to offer insurance. And they had, and I find it interesting, by the way, that it's a 20-year deal, which means it was just up last year. It was just, you know, and, 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 and so I was like, wow, that's really interesting. So then I go find Farmer Stockman today. And if you go to Farmer Stockman's website, which is really interesting, basically you'll see on the front page of their website, they're an insurance company. And the way that they position their insurance company is they say, listen, we basically are the trusted source for insurance and financial planning through these farm magazines across the United States. And then they list out all of these different magazines, including some of the ones that were part of their portfolio, but others as well. They list all these magazines where if you're a subscriber to these magazines, you can get their insurance. As they say on the front page of their website, we're the only insurance and financial service organization recommended to the subscribers of Dakota Farmer, Kansas Farmer, Missouri Ruralist, Nebraska Farmer, The Farmer Wallace Farmer, and Western Farmer Stockman Magazines. And they basically say our licensed representatives understand the unique financial concerns and special tax issues that concern agricultural families, et cetera, et cetera. I just found this fascinating that here's this company. It was a publishing company pivoted into the into the ability to sell insurance to the subscribers of the magazine. They're still operating almost purely from a content marketing strategy, just now an outsourced one rather than the one that they started. You could just put a bow on this entire episode. Yeah. Seems like <laughs> isn't that just awesome? The, isn't that the, just an awesome story? Now, I don't know, you know, obviously I don't I don't know anybody there. I don't know the details of, you know, maybe this is failing miserably, but you know, to me, this is just such an interesting story. I totally want to talk to somebody at Farmer Stockman Insurance Service uh, in Spokane and just say how is it going? How you know? How are you doing? And and because I just let's, find this let's do, truly I, I think fascinating. We should do that. Maybe we should we could send our investigative team out. Uh, yeah, right. The channel four, <laughs> the channel four PNR investigative team, <laughs> Santiago. <Yeah>. Yes, <laughs> something like that. All right, that was. Uh, what do you there got? You what, go. Is it a, sl- a slow week this week? Uh, you know, and it is a slow week for me. It's well, it's a slow. It's yeah. a slow. It's a slow jam week, is what it is. It's a yeah. slow jam week for me. I'm doing a lot of writing, a lot of prepping, um, trying to get a bit of ahead of the game here and and do some client work. Um, as well as some, you know, some writing some new presentations and just get a little bit of a head because May is going to be absolutely yep. nutty with travel for me. So, um, and so that's just trying to get a bit of ahead of the game. How about you? T- totally the same thing. This is, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that are taking vacations this week. So, uh, the opportunity to get some things done because, uh, yeah, it, it's May is May and then early June is going to be can be a little nuts with the travel so that'll yeah. be fun you and i trying to coordinate as usual that would be but great we'll, we'll oh, figure be it great. out yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. All right, folks, that is it. We are signing off. This is Robert Rose. And for Joe Polizzi, if you like this episode, number 178, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? We're getting there, folks. We're in the top 100, but we really need the reviews to sort of keep going up. Keep us keep us going up. I, we want to beat some of those other podcasts. You know who they are. We want to beat them. So if you haven't yet, leave us a review. Consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. And if you leave us a review or if you subscribe, leave us a note, won't you? Hashtag us up at This Old Marketing on the Twitter. We'd love to thank you for that personally. Or you can always send an email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And of course, we love your story ideas. Keep those story ideas coming. They're fantastic. Um, and of course, all the links that we talked about today will be available in the show notes as we publish on Monday night. And of course, in the replete Technicolor glory of the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.